Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today I will be reading uh, the third lesson in uh, Neville Goddard's 1948 lecture series. And uh, this third lecture was called Thinking Fourth Dimensionally. And this will be part one of two. There are actual there are two actual outlooks on the world possessed by every man. And the ancient storytellers were fully conscious of these two outlooks. They called the one the carnal mind and the other the mind of Christ. We recognize these two centers of thought in the statement, the natural man receiveth, not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 To the natural mind, reality is confined to the instant called now. This very moment seems to contain the whole of reality. Everything else is unreal. To the natural mind, the past and the future are purely imaginary. In other words, my past, when I use the natural mind, is only a memory image of things that were. And to the limited focus of the carnal or natural mind, the future does not exist. The natural mind does not believe that it could revisit the past and see it as if something that is present something that is objective and concrete to itself. Neither does it believe that the future exists. To the Christ mind, the spiritual mind, which in our language we will call the fourth dimensional focus, the past, the present, and the future of the natural mind are a present whole. It takes in the entire array of sensory impressions that man has encountered, is encountering, and will encounter. The only reason you and I are functioning as we are today and are not aware of the greater outlook is simply because we are creatures of habit, and habit renders us totally blind to what otherwise we should see. But habit is not law. It acts as though it were the most compelling force in the world, yet it is not law. We can create a new approach to life. If you and I would spend a few minutes every day in withdrawing our attention from the region of sensation and concentrating it on an invisible state and remain faithful to this contemplation, feeling and sensing the reality of an invisible state, we would in time become aware of this greater world, this dimensionally larger world. The state contemplated is now a concrete reality, displaced in time. Tonight as we turn to our Bible, you be the judge as to where you stand in your present unfoldment. Our story for tonight is from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. In this chapter, there are three stories told as though they were separate experiences of the dominant characters. In the first story, we are told that Jesus came upon an insane man, a naked man who lived in the cemetery and hid himself behind the tombs. This man appealed to Jesus not to cast out the devils that bedeviled him. But Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Mark 5.8 Thus Jesus cast out the devils that they may now destroy themselves. And we find this man, for the first time, clothed and in his right mind and seated at the feet of the Master. We will get the psychological sense of this chapter by changing the name Jesus to that of enlightened reason or fourth dimensional thinking. As we progress in this chapter, we are told that Jesus now comes upon the high priest, whose name is Jairus. And Jairus, the high priest of the synagogue, has a child who is dying. She is 12 years old, and he appeals to Jesus to come and heal the child. 
Jesus consents, and as he starts toward the home of the high priest, a woman in the marketplace touched his garment. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Mark 5.30 The woman who was healed of an issue of blood that she had for twelve years confessed that she had touched him. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Mark 5.34 As he continues toward the home of the high priest, he is told that the child is dead and there is no need to go to resurrect her. She is no longer asleep, but is now dead. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Mark 5.36 And when he has come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Mark 5.39 With this entire crowd mocked and laughed, or with this the entire crowd mocked and laughed, But Jesus, closing the doors against the mocking crowd, took with him into the household of Jairus, his disciples, and the father and mother of the dead child. They entered into the room where the damsel was lying, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. Mark 5, 41. From the deep sleep she awoke and arose and walked, and the high priest and all the others were astonished, and he changed him straightly that no man should know it, and he commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Mark 5.43 You are this very night, as you are seated here, pictured in this fifth chapter of Mark. A cemetery is for one purpose. It is simply to record of the dead. It is simply a record of the dead. Are you living in the dead past? If you are living among the dead, your prejudice, your superstitions, and your false beliefs that you keep alive are the tombstones behind which you hide. If you refuse to let them go, you are just as mad as the madman of the Bible who pleaded with enlightened reason not to cast them out. There is no difference, but enlightened reason is incapable of protecting prejudice and superstition against the inroads of reason. There is not a man in this world who has a prejudice, regardless of the nature of the prejudice, who can hold it up to the light of reason. Tell me you are against a certain nation, a certain race, a certain ism, a certain anything. I do not care what it is. You cannot expose that belief of yours to the light of reason and have it live. In order that it may be kept alive in your world, you must hide it from reason. You cannot analyze it in the light of reason and have it live. When this fourth dimensional focus comes and shows you a new approach to life and casts out of your own mind all these things that bedeviled you, you are then cleansed and clothed in your right mind, and you sit at the top of understanding called the feet of the master. Now clothed in your right mind, you can resurrect the dead. What dead? The child in the story is not a child. The child is your ambition, your desire, the unfulfilled dreams of your heart. This is a child housed within the mind of man. For as I have stated before, the entire drama of the Bible is a psychological one. The Bible has no reference at all to any person who ever existed or any event that ever occurred upon earth. All the stories of the Bible unfold in the minds of the individual man. In the story, Jesus is the awakened intellect of man. 
when your mind functions outside of the range of your present senses, when your mind is healed of all the former limitations, then you are no longer the insane man, but you are this presence personified as Jesus, the power that can resurrect the longings of the heart of man. You are now the woman with the issue of blood. What is this issue of blood? A running womb is not a productive womb. She held it for 12 years. She was incapable of conceiving. She could not give form to her longing because of the running of the issue of blood. You are told her faith closed it. As a womb closes, it can give form to the seed or idea. As your mind is cleansed of your former concept of self, you assume you are what you want to be. And remaining faithful to this assumption, you give form to your assumption or resurrect your child. You are the woman cleansed of the issue of blood, and you move towards the house of the dead child. The child or state you desired is now your fixed concept of yourself. But now having assumed that I am what formerly I desired to be, I cannot continue desiring what I am conscious of being. So I do not discuss it. I talk to no one concerning what I am. It is so obvious to me that I am what I want to be, that I walk as though I were. Walking as though I am what formerly I wanted to be, my world of limited focus does not see it and thinks I no longer desire it. The child is dead within the world, but I, who know the law, say the child is not dead. The damsel is not dead, she but sleepeth. I now awaken her. I, by my assumption, awaken and make visible in my world what I assume, for assumptions of sustained invariably awaken what they affirm. I close the door. What door? The door of my senses. I simply shut out completely all that my senses reveal. I deny the evidence of my senses. I suspend the limited reason of the natural man and walk in this bold assertion that I am what my senses deny. With the door of my senses closed, what do I take into that disciplined state? I take no one into that state, but the parents of the child and my disciples. I close the door against the mocking, laughing crowd. I no longer look for confirmation. I completely deny the evidence of my senses, which mock my assumption, and do not discuss with others whether my assumption is possible or not. For the parents, we have discovered that the father-mother of all creation is man's I amness, man's consciousness of God. I am conscious of the state. I am the father-mother of all my ideas, and my mind remains faithful to this new concept of self. My mind is disciplined. I take into that state the disciples, and I shut out of that state everything that would deny it. Now the child, unaided by a man, is resurrected. The condition which I desired, and assumed that I had, becomes objectified within my world, and bears witness to the power of my assumption. You be the judge. I cannot judge you. You are either living now in the dead past, or you are living as a woman whose issue of blood has been stamped, staunched. Could you actually answer me if I asked you the question? Do you believe now that you, without the assistance of another, need only assume that you are what you want to be, to make that assumption real within your world? Or do you believe that you must first fulfill a certain condition imposed upon you by the past, that you must be of a certain order or a certain something? I'm not being critical of certain churches or groups, but there are those who believe that anyone outside of the church or group is not yet saved. I was born a Protestant. You talk to a Protestant, there's only one Christian, a Protestant. 
You talk to a Catholic, why there is nothing in the world that is a Christian but a Catholic. You talk to a Jew, and the Christians are, are heathens, and the Jews are the chosen. You talk to a Mohammedan, Jews and Christians are the infidels. You talk to someone else, and all these are the untouchables. It does not matter to whom you talk, they are always the chosen ones. If you believe that you must be one of these in order to be saved, you are still an insane man hiding behind these superstitions and these prejudices of the past, and you are begging not to be cleansed. Some of you say to me, do not ask me to give up my belief in Jesus the man, or in Moses the man, or in Peter the man. When you ask me to give up my belief in these characters, you are asking too much. Leave me these beliefs because they comfort me. I can believe that they lived upon earth and still follow your psychological interpretation of their stories. I say come out of the dead past, come out of that cemetery and walk, knowing that you and your father are one. And your father, whom men call God, is your own consciousness. That is the only creative law in the world. What are you conscious of being? Although you cannot see your objective with the limited focus of your three-dimensional mind, you are now that which you have assumed you are. Walk in that assumption and remain faithful to it. Time in this dimension of your being beats slowly, and you may not, even after you objectify your assumption, remember there was a time when this present reality was but an attitude of mind. Because of the slowness of the beat of time, here you often fail to see the relationship between your inner nature and the outer world that bears witness to it. You, you be the judge of the position you now occupy in this fifth chapter of Mark. Are you resurrecting the dead child? Are you still in need of having that womb of your mind closed? Is it still running and therefore cannot be fertile? Are you now the insane man living in the dead past? Only you can be the judge and answer these questions. Now we turn to the story in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. This will show you how beautifully the ancient storytellers told of the two distinct outlooks on this world. One, the limited three-dimensional focus, and the other, the fourth-dimensional focus. This story tells of an impotent man who is quickly healed. Jesus comes to a place called Bethesda, which by definition means the house of five porches. On these five porches are unnumbered impotent folk, lame, blind, halt, withered, and others. Tradition had it that at certain seasons of the year, an angel would descend and disturb the pool, which was near these five porches. As the angel disturbed the pool, the first one in was always healed but only the first one, not the second. Jesus, seeing a man who was lame from his mother's womb, said to him, Will thou be made whole? John 5, 6. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. John 5, 7. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. John 5, 8. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. John 5, 9. You read the story and you think some strange man was possessed by miraculous power suddenly 
said to the lame man, Rise and walk. I cannot repeat too often that the story, even when it introduces numberless individualities, takes place within the mind of the individual man. The pool is your consciousness. The angel is an idea called the messenger of God. Consciousness being God, when you have an idea, you are entertaining an angel. The minute you are conscious of a desire, your pool has been disturbed. Desire disturbs the mind of man. To want something is to be disturbed. The very moment you have an ambition or a clearly defined objective, the pool has been disturbed by the angel, which was the desire. You are told that the first one into the disturbed pool is always healed. My closest companions in the world, my wife and my little girl, are to me when I address them, second, I must speak to my wife as you are. I must speak to anyone, no matter how close they are, as you are. And after that, the third person, he is. There's only one person in this world with whom I can use the first person present, and that is self. I am. Can be said only of myself. It cannot be said of another. Therefore, when I am conscious of some desire that I want to be, but seemingly am not, the pool being disturbed, who can get into that pool before me? I alone possess the power of the first person. I am that which I want to be. Except I believe I am what I want to be, I remain as I formerly was and die in that limitation. In this story, you need no man to put you into the pool as your consciousness is disturbed by desire. All you need do is to assume you are already that which you formerly wanted to be, and you are in it, and no man can get it before you, or can get in before you. What man can get in before you when you become conscious of being that which you want to be? No, no one can be before you when you alone possess the power to say, I am. These are the two outlooks. You are now what your senses would deny. Are you bold enough to assume that you are already that which you want to be? If you dare assume you are already that which your reason and your senses now deny, then you are in the pool and, unaided by a man, you too will rise and t- take your couch and walk. You are told it happened on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is only the mystical sense of stillness. When you are unconcerned, when you are not anxious, when you are not looking for results, knowing that signs follow and do not proceed. The Sabbath is a day of stillness wherein there is no working. When you are not working to make it, so you are in the Sabbath. When you are not at all concerned about the opinion of others, when you walk as though you were, you cannot raise one finger to make it so. You are in the Sabbath. I cannot be concerned as to how, how it will be and still say I am conscious of being it. If I am conscious of being free, secure, healthy, and happy, I sustain these states of consciousness without effort or labor on my part. Therefore, I am in the Sabbath. And because it was the Sabbath, he rose and walked. Our next story is from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And it is one you have heard time and time again. Jesus comes to the well, and there is a woman called the woman of Samaria. And he said to her, Give me to drink. John 4, 7. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. John 4, 9. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. John 
The woman, seeing that he has nothing with which to draw the water, and knowing the well is deep, says, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which give us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? John 4.12 Jesus answered and said unto her, Whatsoever drinketh, or whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, 13 and 14. Then he, said, then he tells her all concerning herself and asks her to go and call her husband. She answered and said, I have no husband. John four seventeen. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. John fourteen seventeen and 18. The woman, knowing this to be true, goes into the marketplace and tells the others, I have met the Messiah. They ask her, How do you know you have met the Messiah? Because he told me all things that I have ever done, she replies. Here's a focus that takes in the entire past, at least, and tells her now concerning the future. Continuing with the story, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Master, eat. John 4.31 But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. John 4.32 When they speak of a harvest in four months, Jesus replies, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, are ready to harvest. John 4.35 he, seeing, he sees things that people wait four months for or wait four years for. He sees them now. He sees them as now in a dimensionally larger world, existing now, taking place now. Let us go back to the first part of the story. The woman of Samaria is the three dimensional you, and Jesus at the well is the fourth dimensional you. The argument starts between what you want to be and what reason tells you that you are. The greater you, Tell you that if you would dare assume you are already what you want to be, you would become it. The lesser you, with its limited focus, tells you why you haven't a bucket. You haven't a rope, and the well is deep. How could you ever reach the depth of the state without the means to that end? You answer and say, if you only knew who asked of you to drink, you would ask of him. If you only knew what in yourself is urging upon the embodiment of the state you now seek, you would suspend your little sight and let him do it for you. Then he tells you that you have five husbands, and you deny it. But he knows far better than you that your five senses impregnate you morning, noon, and night with their limitations. They tell you what children you will bear tonight, tomorrow, and the days to come. For your five senses act like five, th or five husbands who constantly impregnate your consciousness, which is the great womb of God. And morning, noon, and night, they suggest to you and dictate to you that which you must accept. As true. He tells you the one you would like to have for your husband is not your husband. In other words, the six has not yet impregnated you. What would you what would you like to be is denied by these five, and they hold the power. They dictate what you will accept as true. What you would like to accept has not yet penetrated your mind and impregnated your mind with its reality. He whom you call husband is really not your husband. You are not bearing his likeness. To bear his likeness is proof that you are his wife. At least you have known him intimately. You are not bearing the likeness of the sixth. 
you are only bearing the likeness of the five. Then one turns to me and tells me all that I have ever known. I go back in the mind's eye and reason tells me that all through my life I have always accepted the limitations of my own senses. I have always looked upon them as fact, and morning, noon, and night I have borne witness to this acceptance. Reason tells me I have only known these five from the time I was born. Now I would like to step outside the limitation of my senses, but I have not yet found within myself the courage to assume. I am what these five would deny that I am. So here I remain, conscious of my task, but without the courage to step beyond the limitations of my senses and that which my reason denies. He tells these, I have meat ye know not of. I am the bread that droppeth down from heaven. I am the wine. I know what I want to be, and because I am that bread, I feast upon it. I assume that I am. And instead of feasting upon the fact that I am in this room talking to you and you are listening to me, and that I am in Los Angeles, I feast upon the fact that I am elsewhere, and I walk here as though I were elsewhere, and gradually I become what I feast upon. Okay, so that ends the first part of uh, Lesson 3 in Neville Goddard's 1948 Lectures, and again, this one was titled Thinking Fourth Dimensionally. I will continue with Part 2 of Thinking Fourth Dimensionally fourth dimensionally in the next podcast. Thank you again for joining me and I will see you next time.